Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, running a little late. Very busy day today. We had Brisson show this morning, uh, but now we're looking at Lech Lecha. In show, I ran into my oldest friend, Frye Averson, and he's telling me today that his brother, Naftali, it's a shout-out to Naftali Averson on the other side of America. He's in California. is listening to these Parsha podcasts, which I thought was very interesting. They, we go back a long way, and I remember when Naftali still had long hair because that's the first family I ever met that they don't do the haircut until you're three years old. Take We're going back... Ancient history in Baltimore. But anyway, to get to the Parsha today, um, we have a lot of uh, interesting materials so I have to kind of pick and choose because I don't have a lot of time. And even though I end up overrunning what I should say, but I'm going to try to keep within some normal limit today. Uh, Lech Lecha is, oh, really, a whole bunch of themes. A whole bunch of themes. But right off the top of my head, because I'm just sitting here and bloviating, where, you know, you have this very, very interesting uh, relationship between Avram and Sarah. Very, very interesting. Now, we don't know that much about the actual... Let, let me put it this way. A lot of this is clouded, and we only have flashes of lightning in uh, Lech Lecha to kind of illuminate contours of the relationship between Avram and Sarah. At least that's what it seems to me. Like I say endlessly, all you get is my opinion. Uh, for example, Avram is married to Sarah, apparently from a very young age. Who is Sarah? It doesn't say in the text, you know. It says, Sarai. And Shem Eishes Nochor Milka, Bas Haron Avi Milka Avi Yisko. Which, if you read that pasuk at the end of you know Noach, you know, so it says Avram had a brother named Nochor. He had another one who died, as you know. And Avram and Nochor got married. Avram married some girl named Sarai, and Nochor uh, married a girl named Milka. It says Milka was Bas Haron Avi Milka Avi Yisko. So Milka was you know the the uh, the the daughter of Haran. Uh, so in other words, Nochor married his niece. But who's Sarai? Puzzle didn't tell you. So Rashi and others will say, well, she's his sister anyway. You know, they're there. And as Ibn Ezra puts it famously, right over here in this passage, Ibn Ezra says, in Kabbalah, who in the Kabbalah? If it is, it is. If not, it's not. Meaning, it doesn't say so. Could be. Uh, you know, we weren't there. Kenzine. But it doesn't make it clear. It, the, the Hebrew is wonderfully ambiguous. Uh, you look at the end of Parsha Noach, you see what I'm saying. So, for all I know, Avram married someone named Sarai. Maybe they're related, maybe they weren't related. You know, Middle East being what it is, they're probably related, but Verves. It's not emphasized, not made clear. And there's a big factor. She childless. You know, the child. This is a, 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 a neglected, overarching uh, aspect of the life of Abraham and of his marriage. I mentioned the other day when I did this uh, podcast on Ben Yona, uh, the Avos were not really polygamous. Uh, think about what I'm about to say. Avram and Sarah got married at a very young age, according to Chazal, a very young age indeed. And they have any kids. And obviously, life must have been such 
that is more normal like us today. Because otherwise, listen, Noah had kids when he's 500. These other people had kids when they're 600. So what was the big deal if that's the case, if Sarah had a baby when she's 90? That was like nothing in those days. LMI, from the fact you see that she made a big deal out of that, by the time you get to Avram and Sarah, the you know uh, uh, medical situation was like it is today. Older people don't have kids, generally speaking. So for Sarah, it was a miracle. Uh, so it means there's a couple there to get married maybe before teens, but certainly in their teens, early teens, and the 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, no kids. I'm sure they tried a hundred times. No kids. Don't you think that this is a key to the Abraham story? Because he grows up in Ur Kasdim or Haran, depending how you read that. That's a whole separate schmooze. Like, do you understand that Avram was born in Haran or was he born in Ur Kasdim? Uh, you know, the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra, the end of the day, they go all through that. I don't have time for that now. But one thing is clear he's born to an idle family, you know, Terach and so forth. But it sounds like they're the only couple that doesn't have any children. And uh, and this is thrown in his face. Because I'm sure you know the famous Chazal that says when they built the Tower of Bubble and Avram was 48 years old and he protested against it and they said, what do you know, you're childless. Not that that's anything to do with anything, but that's how people are when they diss others. You know, they say you're ugly, <laughs> therefore your pain doesn't count. Or you have funny uh, pants, or you have short sleeve shirt. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever you want to say. There's all kinds of stupid thing, irrelevancies out there, because it works. Think about Trump. <laughs> as soon as he called her Pocahontas, she's toast, you know? So I'm just saying, ah, it's not an argument. It is an argument. People, it's called rhetoric, the power of uh, certain words. So they call him a period of mule, can't have any kids. You see, this is bothering Avram uh, tremendously. And yet, he never took a concubine, he never married another wife, all of which are totally, uh, uh, total options in those days. I'm sure everybody did it. Uh, in fact, I doubt many people of his class who are wealthy and could afford it had just one wife in the, in, in the Hammurabi times, you know, back in the ancient Bavel, Sumeria, Akkadia, and all. That's not how life operated. And Avram was rich, and he doesn't marry anybody else. And those, they're really tight with each other, you know? They're, 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 there's a couple in love. It's, it's just interesting, <laughs> you know? It's interesting. And what's really cool is when you get to this week's Parsha, uh, which is complicated. Uh, you know, Abram says, I know you're beautiful. When I say complicated, get this well. I, I mentioned this, I think, last year. I assume I did. I don't go and listen to the old stuff. But I assume. Lech Lech is out of order. You know, that's how the Chazal say it. That's when he went round two. Very briefly, it was a guy named Avram. He lived in a place called Charan. On his own, at the age of 70, he decided to move to Israel. He never... Uh, met God. He never had a Nebuah or anything like that. Uh, he had, like the Rambam, you know, just figured it out on his own. He became from, I'm going by the Chazals now, by Rish Lakish, for example, who says he became from at the age of 48. So when he saw the Tower of Babel screw up, he said, that's it, I'm, I'm done with these losers, and I'm switching to monotheism. But it was just a belief. You understand? It was just a logical belief. God never appeared to him or anything like that. You know, he keeps saying, I think there's one uh, God out there. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm talking to you. You're not talking to me. And uh, so that's interesting. And that's 48. And give me another 20 years. He's 68, 70 years old. At the age of 70, he moves to Eretz Yisrael, what you call exploration trip. Um, exploration trip. Maybe I'll make Aliyah. Everybody does this to the young, just as they move to Israel. You go for one time, two times, check it out. See the employment situation, see the economy, see if you can find housing. We all know this. And so Avram does this. As soon as he gets to Israel, he has a Zionist challenge because it's a famine. 
So the message over there is, this ain't a good place to stay. You're back in Urkazdin, where there's almost never a famine, because it's by the great rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. You know, Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia in Greek means Aram Naran, the land between the two rivers. So I assume where Avram was, famines, droughts were extremely rare, because you have these gigantic rivers. Uh, same thing in Egypt. Uh, and indeed, Avram goes to Egypt. So from the strictly economic point of view, the land of Canaan is not a good place to settle. Even in Chumash it says, Limatar Hashamayim Tishtamayim. They always depend on rainwater. And you and I know, in Israel today, every year you're holding your breath. Will it be a lot of rain? Will it not be a lot of rain? And, and the and population is getting bigger. And water is a gigantic crisis. And that's how the Six-Day War started. And we ain't finished with that because the Hezbollah and the ISIS and these other guys trying to get a hold of the water sources at north of the, you know, Tiberia and all that. So, uh, which lead to the Jordan River. So anyhow, it's complicated. But Avram doesn't leave, uh, go back. He goes to Egypt. He hangs around there. There he has these strange encounters with Sarah and Pharaoh and all the rest of it. Then he comes back having been paid for his quote-unquote sister. And it, so he looks a stickle foolish, at least that's what Ramban says. And then he comes back to Israel. And it's a world war, you know, the four kings and the five kings. And, by, and he tries to stay out of it, but by the time it's over, he gets heavily involved. And he's like a major combat guy there. And you know the story. And, I mean, he, he, he hit and runs these, uh, what do you call raiding attacks, raids, um, from, uh, shall we say, the area of the Dead Sea, all the way north to Tel Dan, all the way to the Banyas. That's what it says, where you're Don Asher, Mismola Domestic. So he was quite a fighter. And then when it's over, everybody acclaims this new guy, Nasil Himatabazavenu. Wow, you're a hero. And then he moves back to Kharn. And uh, these are the experiences here. No, I, I, I left out one very, very, very important item. One very important item. This guy, uh, Avram, after this war is over, he meets Malkitzedek. Uh And it's a spiritual, it seems like it's some kind of an encounter. Because Hotsi Lechem Yayin uh, brings Ben water. Well, you stupid idiot, you think Lechem and Yayin? What is Lechem? What is Yayin? Uh, you know... We're talking heavy stuff over here. And Hotzi, you know, he, he, he's Motzi Lechem and Yain. Uh, you know, the Torah, the Sodas, all the other, uh, you know, mystical stuff. Or if you're an Ari Kaplan type of guy, he teaches him how to get messages from upstairs. Till now you've been doing it one way, right? And very good for you, Abraham. And now I'll show you how to get messages from the other way around. And what happens right after this episode? God appears to him for the first time ever. Right, and uh, you know, uh, isn't, isn't that what happened? And uh, it's only it's only later he returns back to Charn after this. He's a changed man. He makes his plans, and five years later, he moves to Israel a second time. There, God already spoke to him in Charn and said, "Lecha lecha," and he and and on that occasion, when he comes the second round, the final round, does God appear to him and say, "I'll take care of you," and all this kind of business. So you have to, again, I'm just saying what the Seder and what the Chazal do. You have to cut up the Parsha and rearrange it if you're looking at chronology in, in, in those terms. Uh, the Chazal get this because it says that the Jews were in Israel for 430 years. Moshe B'nai Yisrael, Asher Yeshem Mitzrayim, Shloshim Shonav Abba B'nai Shonav. It's already at 430. So you see 400 for the Brees Ben Abbasarim. Yeah, but that's when Avram, you know, was older. Uh, it, uh, 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 what I mean is uh, uh, from the time of the... Um, birth of Yitzhak. But where do you get the extra 30? Unless you say that, you know, it goes back to the Brits of Asarim, 
from the, these experiences I'm talking about, after he defeats the four and five kings, he starts to have visions. So the, the Jewish people, the experience in Egypt comes out to, you know, 430, if you backtrack it to the first trip, not the second. No, it's not Lech Lecha, that's the second trip, but the first trip, which is not told to us. So basically, if you're going chronologically, I hope I haven't confused you, but if I did, tough luck. You just, Vahirov Ba'aretz, that's Avram's, that's where the story really starts, chronologically. Vahirov Ba'aretz, meaning Avram went on this first trip, and then he encountered the famine, and everything comes after that, including the war, the four and five kings, and then his visions, he starts to get Nevoah, and this Nevoah accompanies him later. Now, here's my point. All this was by way of background. What is the first thing Hashem says to him? Anochi mogin loch altira Avram. Don't be scared. Schar mode. And Avram says, what's schar? I have no kids. See, he's obsessed with the childlessness, which is totally normal. Okay? You see, that's hanging over his head. So it wasn't like Avram said, I guess, oh no, some people have kids, some people have kids. Oh, they gave this. It wasn't like that. It really bothered him. He even speaks cynically. He said, what can you give me? Uh, you know, I have no kids. Uh, you know, I'm, everything I built up in my business is like Kohelis. It's going to go to my employee, to, to, to Eliezer. And, uh, and God says, no, no, don't worry, I'll take care of all the rest of it. And this is repeated several times in, in, in Lechlo, and even later, isn't it? Is it not? Which means Avram's majorly concerned about all this. And yet, in spite of all this, he never undertook to do what Sarah later on advised him to do, which is take our concubine. And it, from her, he fathers children, from which you see, the problem was never with him, the problem was always with Sarah. So that's just interesting. Now, how come it never occurred to him to not divorce Sarah, but take a second wife or third? That's where the whole shot of second third wife comes from. You see, they were uh, uh, totally in love. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, they're very, they had a, a super strong relationship, and he was nuts over her, she was nuts over him. And you see this very nicely when uh, they come to the famine in Egypt. And what's the first thing Avram says? When they get close to Egypt, he said, Now, get, let me get this straight. Avram is 70 years old. Sarah is 10 years young. She's 60 years old. 60 years old, usually you're not winning a beauty contest. Uh, yes, you are. Uh, to, to, to Avram, she is. Uh, so Avram says, listen, we all know you're the biggest knockout there is. And when you come to Egypt, it's going to cause trouble. Why didn't Sarah say something like this? Listen, thank you for the compliment, but that was 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago, whatever. No, Sarah said like this. You're absolutely right. So she, they both had a high opinion of how she looked. Now, I know Rashi has an upshot from the Takuma that he never saw in his life. But as you know, that's a little hard to hear. Plus, Rashi offers a different interpretation, does he not? So that's one of several interpretations. And Ramban says, he didn't know your daughter, if I remember correctly, Ramban says, I've known this all the time. That's where wherever we go, later on he says, Davi Melch, wherever we go, I always say she's my sister. Meaning I know my wife is, as I say, a great renowned beauty, and therefore, it, uh, you know, I always take these measures. Um, so here Avram, so he's nuts over her. He thinks he's the most beautiful woman in the world. Uh, he's, he's always worried that others will try to kill him on her behalf. Uh, and Sarah totally agrees. And I'll say again, it's not when she's 20 years old, it's not when she's 30 years old, it's when she's 60 and later 70 and 80 years old. It's, it's just very interesting. So um, he never wanted to, anybody else except her. This, Yitzhak was the same way, by the way. Yitzhak, you know, according to the Gemara, no chachishto means I don't want any children from anybody else other than this wife. That's why I pray for her. So they had a very, very tight relationship. And it's interesting. It's only when Avram reaches the level of Nevoah, and God says you'll have children, all the rest. only subsequent to that 
does uh, does he marry a concubine? Which is a little counterintuitive, because he sh could have told Sarah, "I have great news. I had a nevuah, and the Rebbeinu Shalom told me we're going to have kids, right? We're going to have kids." Uh, but it didn't happen that way, did it? Instead, you know, she told him to marry a uh, Hagar, and of course, it's a human being story. Uh, her idea was Hagar will have a kid, and then that'll somehow really be must be on her. And uh, instead, she couldn't take it. The hugger had a kid, and she didn't have the kid, as we all know the story. And like really bothered her, and she declared war. Now, this is a wife and a husband. Chamasi Alecha, I declare warn you. I gave you the thing, the the, the idea. Avram could have said, like, "What do you want, my life? Wasn't my idea. It was your idea. I've been married to you for decades. I never said a word. And with this came with your idea. And now you're angry at me, you know. But that's uh, that that that's how these things go sometimes, <laughs> as many of us are aware." Now, um, so you see this very interesting, at least to me, the story of Avram and Sarah as it unfolds and develops over the course of Lechacha is like, uh, you know, really, really interesting. Now, if they're as tight as I say, as the text seems to indicate, then you can understand that Sarah, therefore, it has to include the fact that way back when, from the time they're young, Sarah is a full partner to his spiritual wanderings. Because clearly Avram, at a young age, is, uh, you know, uh, dissatisfied with the status quo. And so is Sarah, it would appear. Uh, why? They don't make kids. If uh, nobody likes a belief system that doesn't work for them, that's just normal. And so you say the world is governed by Zeus and Minerva. Well, then how can we not make kids? Well, Isaiah Gate, this outside of God's work. I'm not interested in that, this word. Then I'm going to look for something else. You could say it's the Baal, the Asherah, the this. Actually, the Middle East is full, chock full of fertility gods. How can it be that none of them worked? I'm sure in my mind that Avram, when he was young, tried everything. Why not? You know, he wasn't from at that time. Why not? So I'm sure they went to this God and to this God, and they traveled here and they traveled here. And I'm sure to a God, you'll say like this, well, you didn't do the right God. You know, the one yet. After he spent a long time doing all these different treatments, he said, Chavez Alem, bud, the whole system is baloney, and the, probably the whole God's altogether is a racket, and therefore I'm going to look for something else. And this is what put him on the road to asking questions and, and trying to pierce the veil, which he does, does he not? So the childlessness was God's tool to stir him up to ask questions and be permanently dissatisfied with the status quo, because as long as he doesn't make kids, it wouldn't happen that way. In other words, if Alfred and Sarah would have been a regular couple, and they got married at a young age, they would have had their normal kids all the rest of it, would Avram been bothered so much by the idolatry system to move him to be radical and be Avram who every, you know, the matter says the reason is every is, Total nonconformist. You're all wrong. You're on this side, and I'm on this side. Meaning, you know, you're on this side of the question, I'm on that side of the question. Not many people have the gumption to do that. You know, if somebody stands up in a room and says like this, everybody's wrong and I'm right. We call that a nut. Right? It's insane. Uh, the whole world is wrong and I'm right. Even though I know plenty of synagogues like that, and plenty of yeshivas, if I say the whole world's wrong, I'm right. But nevertheless, they're all crazy. You understand? It's a certain mishigas. Uh, say, how come by Avra? No, the answer is it's not always a Mishigas, just usually it's a Mishigas. In this particular case, happened to be, once in a while it can happen, that the one guy was right, I'm talking about Avram, and everybody else was wrong. You, 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 could, you could be like that. It, it, it could happen. And so you have this, uh, as I say before, this uh, uh, grand uh, uh, narrative, and that's why Humagayar Sanoshim, Humagayar Sanoshim, whatever they did, they did in a joint way, which... Therefore, he answers the question, how could Avram pull it off if he would have married to a materialistic wife who would have married one of these girls from the rich neighborhoods of New York? 
she wanted to go along with all this. You understand? Like, what are you rocking the boat for? We have a good life. Everything's together. She also was a partner with him in all these uh, um, speculations. And therefore, by the time he finishes, it's a nefesh show, a subacharan. By the time they get to Charan, they're a team. And that's obviously a key to his success. Uh, you know, ask the Lubavitchers or something like that. You can't be a successful shliach out in the Congo or one of these places if it's not a team effort, right? I mean, uh, you know, he, uh, truth is, most things in life you can't be successful without a team effort, but see, but particularly something which goes against the grain. Uh, you want to be successful in being a monotheist when everybody else is opposed to monotheism, your wife better be uh, on board. Otherwise, it will just be impossible. Many famous People, including Big Sadiqan, were taken by, by women and they nagged them and smagged them to death, starting from one region down to Shimsha and down to others. The Torah, the Bible is full of all such stories. And yet Avram and Sarah aren't like that. So there's your first cure of team, uh, which means they went through a lot of hard times together. And as they say, the existing religion didn't work and they ended up uh, you know, forging new paths, shall we say. Now, mind you, I always make the point Avram and Sarah are probably not the real names. They're didactic names. At least, that's why I speculate. Why? Because Avram in Hebrew means Avram, the high father, so which fits as the ancestor of the Jewish religion, or Avram on Goyim, you know, Avram. And she's the same thing. She called the Sarah, the princess. Sarah is, is, is female for Sar, right? You got a Sar, you got a Sarah. So, uh, this is very interesting. It means she's a princess in the sense they carried themselves well. Avram wasn't simply a from guy, because it could have been a from guy and a na 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 a turn off. Uh, instead, Avram was a turn on. So the only way you can be turned on from is you have a certain class, you carry yourself in a certain way, and uh, you blow out the, the the stereotypes. And he certainly does in this week's parsha because I love this. What what do you see in this week's parsha? This is the first Jew in history, and he's already called anti-Semitic names because the king of Sodom, as you know. So I'm just trying to show you how he was a classy guy. The king of Sodom says, Tainly on nefesh for a chush kachloch. You know that story. I have to tell you. So after the war's over, the king of Sodom says, Just give me a people. You keep the money. In other words, we know what makes you people operate, you Jews. You keep the money. Aren't there a million stories like that? You heard the one? How does it go? Two guys are sitting at a park bench in Hungary. And two Jewish guys. And how's it go? And they see across the street on the cathedral is a big sign, whoever converts today, Jewish converts today, gets $10,000. And Shlomi said to Beryl, he says, that's disgusting that they would offer that. And Beryl says, I don't know, 10000 10000 And Shlomi says, how can you even think like that? And Beryl says, listen, money's money. And he said, boy, oh boy, what's with you? And after a while, you know, uh, Beryl gets up and he walks across the uh, park and goes into the cathedral to the utter astonishment of, Shl- of Shlomi. And he comes back out six hours later and he said, and Beryl's there, and he says, Shlomi's there, and he says, you did it? Yeah, I did it, I did it. You converted? Yes, I converted. Oh, my God. Did you get the $10,000? He said, what is it with you people? He said, that's, that, that's what the king of Sodom says. Tell and nefesh, just give me the people back. Harachush kachloch, you keep the cash. <laughs> right? Now, you would, I would, right? Typically, say, like, a guy offers you millions of dollars. Just the whole wealth of Sodom. Those are five, six prosperous cities over there, right? So somebody's telling you, you keep the cash. And you earned it because you defeated the Kedar Lomer. Uh, guy said, oh, I w-. yes, I will. Uh, what does Abram say? You cheap son and son, you so-and-so. 
im ichut v'atzroch nal v'lo somar ani ashati zavram. He said, I don't want a shoelace. And what does he say for? He said like this, I can buy and sell you a hundred times. I'm worth a billion. The whole wealth of Sodom is worth 10 million. So if I take that money, you'll always say my wealth comes from Sodom. And the truth of the matter is, even before I met Sodom, I could buy and sell you guys 10 times over. I don't need the money from you. Because I've had, you know, Avani, Meshwachas, and Tona Bucker, he was a loaded guy. He didn't need the money from Sodom. So that's classy. A guy like, I saved your town, I fought for you. I relieved everybody uh, from, from their captivity, and I don't even want a penny for it. People are like, well, very good, very good, you know. No wonder everybody said like this, Nasi Elohim That's a class. Not only did he defeat the powerful four kings, which is impressive enough, but he wouldn't take a penny for it. Wow. See, see, I'm trying to show you this is Avram, high-class guy. It wasn't simply that he believed in one God, but how he conveyed it and, and carried himself was what brought people to say, I want to be on his team, right? Wow, to turn down that kind of money. And therefore, she was the same way. She just saw her up, you understand? When he says, you're a beauty, and you go to Egypt. I wasn't there. Maybe Sarah was a tremendous beauty. It could be. You know, the Gemara says, you know, they use hyperbole, but they say, you know, I, I forget. You know, she was uh, unbelievably uh, uh, beautiful. But Sarah implies she class. She carried herself aristocratically. She came from a background. You understand? These are things, it's not just a matter of looks. It's a matter of a hanhaga. And so you see this very interesting, uh, you know, couple carrying along that way. Now, the, the, you see from all this the extreme importance of the war in the four or five kings. And that's something that really deserves his own pocket. I just want to say a few words, and then I'm going to shut this down. Uh, you know, the, first of all, this is the first appearance of the four kingdoms. Um, we did it last night in the Meadows class out of someone's house. Uh, you know, in Daniel, it says there'll be four kingdoms and then Mashiach, correct? It's, uh, you've heard this before. It's Bavel and then Paras and then Yavon and then Edom, or some variation thereof. The four kingdoms and the two dreams of Daniel. And ever since then, any four in the Chazal, they're always connecting it, you know what I mean, with these four kingdoms. I'll just give you an example. There's four cups on Pesach. The first one's going to get Babel, the second one's going to get Persia, the third one's going to get Greece, and the fourth cup is going to get Rome, and you figure out why it's a Vilna Gong. And, you know, there's a hundred of those, two hundred of those. Well, my friends, the first four kingdoms is Kedar Lomer. Right? And I'm also on those guys. So you see, early on, the Chazal, and the Medish Rabbah, and in the Gemara, are saying this is a blueprint for the future. My self is similar to him. Whenever you see a world war, because that's what four kings and five kings was a world war, it's going to have an impact on the Jews, a uh, positive impact. And when the war started, nobody knew where it's going to happen. By the time it's over, Abraham is proclaimed as number one citizen in Palestine. That's the bottom line. Even the Chivi and the Vusi and all the others, they say, you're the man. The Seolahim uh, which Which is just, just interesting. And one of the things that I find uh, fascinating is, uh, um, I don't want to do this in order, uh, first of all, how did he fight them? Because he wasn't planning to fight them, but if you go to Chazal, you say that their war really was after, they were going chasing after Avram, which means they were from his old territory, or custom place, and they're going out to get him, which is like an interesting spin on the story. It wasn't just the four kings and the five kings, 
But while they're here, they're going to take out Abraham. Of course, he it didn't work. But they, that, that's what they're going for. Ain kad, el ain mishpat he kadesh. They say is Avram, and um, he fights them, as you know, by rallying his soldiers. He never soldiers. But here's a pasuk very hard to translate. We were playing with this last night in the class. Vayarik es chanichav yelide beso three hundred eighteen men. So what does it mean? Vayarik es chanichav. Vayarik is a is a very difficult Hebrew word. It can mean a lot of different things. And I remember the manager said like this. One opinion is that uh, <laughs> he said, okay, guys, we're going into battle. And they said, well, you crazy? Four kings beat five kings. We can't take them on, right? And uh, therefore they fled. So they were embarrassed. The Chanichim, the Talmidim of his, uh, of his West Point, basically the whole place folded. And that's the basis of the story that Avram took them on himself just with Eliezer. Get it? Because what happened to the army? They fled. There's even a message that says that he read them the laws of war in the Chumash. Remember, it says, Well, if the Jewish army, you say, the last guy out, turn off the lights. You know, no, nobody, nobody's left standing. And so Avram said, I'll do it myself. There's another shot that Avram, that, that's exactly what happened. Vayarik means he embarrassed him. He said, okay, you, the heck with you. You guys stay home. I'll go fight myself, and I'm, I'm prepared to die. I don't care. and Which implies, like a movie, you guys can stay home. I'm going whoever wants to come with and come with me. And he shamed them. He shamed them into joining him. Isn't that interesting? There's a third shot, which is also very good, and it was, he bribed them. He said, if you come along with me, you'll get Avonim Tovim Margolius. Meaning, if we conquer the four kings, they killed a lot of Arabs, baby, along the way. They are bringing back a ton of loot. So you beat the four kings, you get that loot. And that's what happened in the end. Because, as you know, he says to the king of Sodom, I don't want a penny from you, you stinking so-and-so, but my troops can keep it. My soldiers can keep whatever they caught. I, myself, don't want a penny. So that's just very interesting. The other one is, when the king of Sodom, you have to look all this in the Medrash. He says, the king of Sodom says, Give me the people and you take the money, first of all, I don't want the money. And according to the Chazal, he doesn't give them back the people either. He gives them the older generation who are already corrupted by Sodomite practices. You understand? The people who are, I don't know, uh, let's say 13 and over, or maybe something like that, whatever, young age, over, they're already ruined. A kid that's grown up in Sodom, you don't want in your yeshiva. Let's face it, right? I mean, you know, it's <laughs> they know too much. They've been around too much. But the younger ones, it says, uh, because, you know, Saddam was totally into vice and into all kinds of things like that. So who wants to bring in a, a, a 12, 13-year-old boy who's been around the, the corner a hundred times? You know, you don't want that. Uh, but the ones who didn't know anything else, I remember it says he kept, he didn't get back to Saddam, and he raised them and they became part of his household. And they were gedur and barayas. He made them uh, moral, okay, as, as opposed to immoral. Which is just amazing, matters. Because what it means is, they became part of the Abrahamic nation. It's not true all the Sodomites were wiped out. Some didn't, and they blended among the Jews. And for all I know, somebody today, possibly, I mean, it depends how you understand that God them. You could be descended, somebody listening to this podcast right now could be descended from Sodom. Isn't that amazing? Uh, from, from Sodom, the ones that Alvin rescued. Obviously, the ones that went back were wiped out with the destruction of Sodom. Uh, matter of fact, every once in a while you see some Jewish weirdos. I will not go into heavy details over here. 
And, you know, you can say they probably come for Saddam, you know. It's, uh, we, we find such people running around once in a while. So the matters is really very suggestive and very uh, powerful. But uh, as I said before, to me, the human story of Abba and Sorrow, which of course carries into next week, um, is the most interesting. And I would invite you, if you want to have something interesting to talk about on Shabbos, in a intelligent fashion, to uh, be guided by the few things I threw at you now in this podcast and do a little bit of research on your own and see uh, the outlines of this uh, first relationship in the Torah that we have some details about. We don't know hardly anything about on We know zilch about Noah and his wife. Let's be honest. You know, we know anything. Avram and Sarah are the first couple that we have at least a little bit of information. As I said before, it flashes of illumination. And uh, they're the first couple. They're, the, then, they're some kind of a model couple, I suppose. Um, so we wish we knew more, but uh, we'll have to settle with what we have. So all this is part of the Lech Lecho. Uh, by the way, if it's true that he went the second time, he went first time and then second time is Lech Lecho, then Lech Lecho means Lech Lech. This is your second going. Uh, I don't want to get off into that. This will take too much time. Anyway, I just want to uh, throw a few ideas out there on this extremely uh, interesting parsha. Because I started this new matters class at my son's house last week, so I went and splurged and bought, I saw the uh, Menish Rabbah, it's something I've done a hundred times, and usually I like the Merkin one, but I see the Art Scroll and the others publish Kedarkom, the um, Menish with the regular Mepharshim, the Marzav, Zabel Weinhorn, and the H. Joseph. I've never been big fans of those, it just doesn't work for me. But there is one exception, and that's the Fetor, from Shmuel Yafi Ashkenazi, where I mentioned once or twice. And uh, he's great. I think most people consider him the greatest of the classic commentators in Medish Rabbah. I'm just sharing with you, because I'm sure nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. And Medish Rabbah is like a closed world, most likely. You just see these little words on the side, on the Mepharshim. But there was a person who lived in the time of Yezid Kara, who was a big Chashva uh, speaker, and Tamchacham in uh, Istanbul, and he did the Yafei Torah and the Yafei Mare. His name was Yafei, Shmuel Yafei Ashkenazi. And uh, he's very good, at least in my opinion, whenever I've seen him over the years, very impressed. And I was happy to read an article from some intelligent guy where he said, I forget who it was, where he said that this is considered the best of the Mepharshim on the Medish Rabo. Why am I going through all this? It was never reprinted. It's always photostatted, you know, in, in the old chicken scratch print. It's impossible to read. And I used to see it at Shomri sometimes. And it's too, you know it can hurt your eyes trying to read that old stuff. Now, very recently, I mean in the immediate past, I went to the bookstore, and there they are. They are reprinting in nice, beautiful form. The Fetor, the, the commentaries in Medeshava from from Rabbi Shmuel Yafi Ashkenazi. They came out three big, uh, expensive though, volumes on Bracious, and then you know eventually I guess they'll do the rest. And it's a machai to read. It's easy to read. It's a lot of fun. You can, uh, you know, uh, if you're at all interested in this genre, and that's one of the reasons I'm saying this, Medeshav is fascinating. If you're looking for a classic from Pirish, I'll say it again, a classic and from Pirish that you'll like, not one that you'll be disappointed in, I would recommend you get the, uh, but it's not cheap, get the uh, Tar. Um I just off the top, I glance at Vayarikis Chanichov. Where do you get the idea? He says, there was just Eliezer. Vayarik is from the word rake, empty. So he emptied the military academy by scaring them with uh, talk of war. 
it says he showed them the weapons and they all freaked out. <laughs> it's a very Jewish uh, kind of a story. <laughs> you know, they used to have jokes in the First World War. Like, they, this is not true. He said they drafted Yeshiva in the Russian army and they put boys through basic training. That's how the story goes. And naturally, the Yeshiva guys said they could, uh, you know, do the drill better than anybody else and shoot better than anybody else. And then they put them in the front lines. And as soon as they started bombing and the general says, now attack, they all run away. And he said, what are you doing? He said, McKenna Hargenberg, what are you, crazy? You could get killed over here. Uh, classic Jewish story of the old school. Well, according to this, Vayorik is Hanichov, means he emptied out the military academy by start talking about battle and showing them weapons, and, and that's what drove him away. You kind of know that story is true, because that's, that's, that's what happens even nowadays. Anyway, I've spoken enough, and have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.